0: let these folks know that there's actually a a valuable role that they play, and how do you define that role for them? Folks who are retained, the
1: folks who move up, are often the folks that are a little less traditional.
2: This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. We presented a discussion with ACCT's senior policy analyst, Alison Beer, and Michael Caron, head of corporate social responsibility at Guardian Life Insurance Company, and Angie Kamath, Dean of Continuing Education and Workforce at the City University of New York. Guardian partnered with ACCT on the redevelopment of a recently released white paper called Partnerships for a Future-Ready Workforce, which details how community colleges and businesses can form strong partnerships, national trends in employer needs and post-secondary attainment, and policies and practices that form a continuum of education and career training. This podcast was recorded on-site during the 2018 ACCT Leadership Congress. Unfortunately, we were unable to salvage the beginning of the conversation because of a glitch in the on-location recording equipment, so we'll jump right into the discussion.
1: So I think the way that we have done business um, in terms of higher ed, and and particularly I can only speak to to CUNY. worked in earlier times and it's just not as relevant today and I think what I mean by that is you know any way that we look at this whether it's around um, changing skills whether it's around the premium that Um, employers are placing on um, digital and data skills and technology skills whether we think about what Michael said in terms of where we are as an economy I mean there's not just a middle skills gap which is kind of what we really I think honed in on as an economy five years ago there's just a skills gap now right across the board you know every kind of job opening every company has um, a really tough time in many markets filling all jobs Um, and so I think when I think about you know, that changing world. And I think, you know, the other buzzword that you hear every day of the week is the future of work. And I think it's very clear, there's not, it's not in the future, it's now, right? Mm-hmm. The the skills that are being required, expected of um, our students and our graduates are, are really kind of here now, they're showing up in job um, postings, they're being expected and asked about in interviews. And I think that one of the challenges that we have to really um, think about as a university system within you know our 25 colleges is how do we make this idea of kind of career ready and employability and a career exploration, part of the academic journey day one. That's different, right? I think in our system, um, our community colleges, you know, some folks use them as a place for a terminal degree. Many if not, you know, the majority of our students transfer to a senior college. And so um, we have to use those first two years really, really well to not only, educate, um, hopefully, you know, have folks graduate and complete, but also to um, have internships, have folks use that time to explore their careers, have and use that time to declare a major, um, have and use that time to really start to get experiential learning. And so um, that orientation is different, um, and I think that it's not something that um, CUNY alone Mm -hmm. um, is trying to look at how to transform in a systematic Mm -hmm. way. Um, I think we look at a lot of programs that often are kind of preparing career um, readiness and career preparation, but I think those are programs, right, and it's not an embedded systemic response. And so I think our biggest challenge is figuring out how do we, at a faculty, at a curriculum, at a major, and a discipline level, really embed this idea of career readiness. And so I think it's a really interesting challenge. Um, and there's a lot of talk around economic and social mobility, which is a really important driver for this work. But I think we also have to think about faculty innovation and how do we embed um, more, more employers across the board, not just in the private sector, in the public sector, and health and education into the classroom in meaningful
0: ways. Yeah, especially you know, given the circumstances and the, na- the nature of public-private partnerships and how they've changed, you know, Angie, the, the, what, what you were describing. Uh, from 5 years ago or 7 years ago, um, really before the Great Recession, um, when you looked at public-private partnerships, um, those were seed capital and sort of risk capital that was put in by the private sector, proof of concept when it was realized then would fuel uh, the public funding of that. And it's just the opposite now, where public funding is harder and harder to get to right. um, on, a, on a systematic level. We, I know two, two systems that we're working with now, Wisconsin and Connecticut, are going through uh, huge work and consolidation. Um, so it is about a scarcity of resources, and it, and if you don't have the partnership to build the capacity on both ends, you're never going to get the supply side and demand side right for, 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 for labor, and, and most importantly, you're not going to give students the kind of support and experience that they, they need. It's, there's just not enough dollars for colleges to do that alone, um, uh, but there is resources, and there are, um, you know, when I think about do, uh, in experiential learning, in mentorship opportunities, and apprenticeship opportunities, and internship opportunities. Those are where uh, people get really turned on, or, or even better, early enough in their academic career, realize that they've gotten themselves into something that they really don't like. Um, uh you know I, I, uh, I graduated with a, an undergrad degree uh, in English and history but I kept a, a, a pre-med status on mine because when I first got to school I thought well I'm going to be a doctor and then I ran up against organic chemistry um, so I, but, but that, that took too long uh, you know right now people aren't waiting that long especially if people are looking to When I think about underserved communities, people are looking to monetize their learning more quickly now than they ever have before, Um, and we should be there to help them do that. The the circumstances demanded.
3: So I hear two things in the field. One is that community colleges move too slowly to meet businesses' needs. The other is that college is more about a paycheck and about a dollar sign. As Coming from the business world and coming from community colleges, what can we do to get these two sectors on the same page and to see eye to eye and overcome, you know, some of these truisms that we hear that maybe aren't actually true?
1: So I think about this a lot and it's it's really interesting. So I feel like you know, higher ed, whether you're MIT or CUNY You know, we can be fast and we can be slow. You know, it really, it's not one or the other. I think that I have seen, you know, incredible work in the healthcare space, for example, responding to um, Medicaid reform of, you know, we literally created brand new curriculum with hospitals to um, create brand new health coaches and community health workers and peer advocates. I mean, we literally created curriculum and degree programs out of nothing within, you know, less than a year. Um, and you know, then we we also can kind of live the the truth of you know, getting a new degree program could take you know two years, and so I think you 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 see both. What I what we often see when we work with with businesses is that it takes time for each side to really understand what they want, right? So it's really easy to say. I'm not getting what I want out of the university system. And then when we ask the question, what is it that you want? And kind of be specific, and what's the competency? It takes an awful long time to actually define that from the business end. And so I think that there's this like, often miscommunication of, I'm not getting what I want, but I can't quite tell you what mm-hmm. I need. And I think that you know that requires, and again, going back to that question about why do businesses and higher ed need to work closer together I think so that you know when you're not coming to the table at a crisis point like you're coming to the table and you're at the table already and you're kind of having an evolving sense of what it is what is it that you want what is it that you need and kind of what is it that you see just budding on the horizon Um, I think that when Folks are coming to the table kind of at a bit of a crisis. Nothing ever moves fast enough, right, in a crisis. When you know I've got 100 um, openings for software developers and I need them now, I mean, literally, this country is not producing nearly enough computer science graduates everywhere, in totality, to solve that need. So we certainly aren't gonna solve that in a year um, you know, in one system. And so I think that we often see that, I think those levels of expectations on kind of what people need and want and how well they can articulate them, Are not always all that aligned.
2: Hey, I just want to take a second to remind everyone that ACCT's GLI is happening March 11th through 13th, 2019, at Portland Community College in Oregon. This is an opportunity for boards and presidents to learn about key legal, regulatory, and policy issues associated with safeguarding college campuses with respect to natural disasters, violence on campus, and more. For more information, go to www.acctgli.org to register. The deadline to receive discounted hotel rate is January thirty first, 2019.
0: from from a business perspective, and this is a criticism that I would provide to uh, my industry colleagues as well as my my community college colleagues, is that um, we can. if you want to indict uh, a system for moving too slowly, um, chances are you're not investing enough time in it to try to move it more quickly. So if you're partnering episodically with your community college, as you said, Angie, for I need 100 developers um, tomorrow, um, and then you don't talk to them again, uh, for another you know, six years when you have the next, uh, the next wave of need, uh, you're, you're actually helping to prolong those cycles versus having an ongoing dialogue, a planning dialogue, a discussion around what needs really are so that the college can react to and plan with you for it. And don't forget, as, as companies, we, we have skin in the game as well, right? I mean, this is, this, is a, this is a big deal. This is part of our own corporate development. So if we're not active, Uh, and proactive I should say in being able to (coughs) prolong partnerships and talk about those partnerships is not only what do we need a year from now but what do we think we might need five years from now and how do we stay how do do we um, you know that's what the paper talked about this uh, in in a good uh, good way a number of ways you've got to stay engaged you've got to stay committed it's a long-term thing Um, and equally schools colleges have to be sensitive enough to pick up what employers are, are offering so um, the, the, you know, so so clarity on the part of the employer, um, a commitment to a longer-term partnership, um, and uh, and an ability to um, uh, provide the com- kind of capacity that the college needs uh, in order to deliver what the business wants are all important factors. So businesses can't ignore the fact that they have a responsibility for this. And as far as um, you know, the 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 other piece around uh, you know relative. Uh, value of uh, the experience um, and whether it's for a job or uh, ultimately we, we all end up working if we're working uh, in a place where um, we believe uh, our skills and our interests are aligning um, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and oh by the way lots and lots of liberal arts and humanities skills are entirely skills that are needed to be successful in the workplace today
1: One um, piece that that just triggered for me, Michael, is really often I think the conversations start and stop at the skills and competency levels or the kind of degree or credential level. And I think what we've seen over time in some of our best employer partnerships are where it's not just about the skills and competency, but it's actually about the HR process. I learned a new term this week, algorithmic bias. And, you know, yeah. I think that's something that we really have to be mindful of. And we've seen it where we have, our, our students are very um, technically prepared. You know, they, they will pass through a screen are often like a first HR screen on technical skills or logic and reasoning skills, analytical skills and then when we put our students in front of um, the hiring manager we often will get back the cultural fit was not quite there. We have a GPA requirement of 3-5 and above and so I think an equal measure has to be given to. Um, certainly the skills and competency and, and kind of need to work with employers to define what that means but I think equal measure has to be paid to um, the HR process and kind of how we make sure that we don't uh, you know fall prey to whether you call it ag- algorithmic bias or implicit bias in terms of, you know what, um, what we really mean when we talk about community college students and you know understanding with a commuter uh, population which is the majority of college students in this country um, when folks are balancing kind of work obligations school obligations and family obligations you might not have a 3-9 and you know in that case the kid or adult with the 3-4, 3-5 or 3-2 um, balancing everything else is just as good, if not better, you know, than mm-hmm. than the kind of 100% focused on studies student. Um, and so I feel like that's a really important part of the equation when we're talking about working between colleges and employers to really look holistically at what that hiring cycle and what that talent cycle looks like. Because um, I worry if we just focus on the skills and defining and curriculum piece, we will potentially not get it right in terms of the pipeline piece if we don't look at um, at all aspects. And again that's not um, saying that all of the responsibility for change rely, you know, falls on the employer. But I think we have to do a much better job of preparing our students and I think that Getting um, our students enabled to really articulate what they're learning, why they're learning it, and how they can apply it is very much a responsibility of higher ed that I think has to be drastically strengthened. But I think the hope um, with the really good employer partnerships that we see with a lot of our companies is that you know meeting halfway. So you know if we're doing the work on the kind of preparation and making sure that folks have the skills or practic- uh, practicing them and applying them, that that kind of you know they're better, they're ready to be received. Um, you know with a set of HR processes that are kind of fair and kind of are um, more comprehensive than I think what exists often today.
0: Yeah, no, I think you made an important point when you talked about uh, people viewing potential employees and, and saying well there's not a culture fit um, and, and we can talk about that topic mm-hmm. alone for probably 17 hours and, and still not uh, have exhausted <laughs> everything that we wanted to say about it uh, but but I, for, for many years I've had this idea that, that um, that collaboration ultimately is about uh, developing uh, a culture, um, and I think that that um, oftentimes institutions, meaning cor- both corporations and colleges, will recognize their 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 independent cultures, but not necessarily take time to actually tell each other about what those cultures are and what some of the norms within those cultures are. And thereby, through their work, build a collective culture, so that you you get rid of that excuse. As I've been around a long time in corporate America, and whenever people have uh, said to me, "Well, you know, that's you know, there's not a cultural fit um, with that particular person," the first thing that I go to is is to say, "Okay, well, what does that mean? What give me a s- specific kind of action or behavior or something like that?" I mean, if if somebody came in for an interview and uh, you know, put their feet up on on the desk and cracked open a beer, uh, and then did their interview that way. And I said, yeah, that's probably not a fit because um, uh, our culture is a culture that we don't drink on the job. Um, but but unless it's that extreme, I just don't see. I, I think it's too convenient of excuse because you know culture is the way things get done. Allegedly is uh, what I've heard from various. What is who's that? I forget the, uh, uh, the 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 business thinker about that uh, who. who, who, who. Coin that phrase, but um, culture is about getting things done and if you can't describe how uh, an action or a behavior that's going to stand in the way of getting those things done, then it's not a culture issue. Um, It may well be a bias issue.
3: I think these are really important points and you know, sometimes um, community colleges and businesses clearly have overlapping goals and needs, um, desires community colleges want to prepare students with knowledge and skills and to have prosperous lives and businesses in the corporate world they want to hire skilled and knowledgeable and you know um, talented employees but with some of these culture issues maybe sometimes it feels like we're living on two different planets um what is needed to get people to speak the same language. In the past, Mike, you and I have talked about liaisons. Angie, you mentioned the term earlier, today, I think sector navigators. How do we identify these people? How do we get more of them? Um, and what steps do we need to take in order to make sure that these two sectors are seen eye to eye?
0: Well, I, I think. As far as how do we get more of them, I think the many people who do this self-identify, they have a natural knack for bringing people together. Um, they are comfortable with abstraction uh, so they can work across uh, across different uh, kind of environments. I think that the challenge is how do you let these folks know that there's actually a, a valuable role that they play and how do you define that role for them? So a little bit of structure will go a long way with somebody who can deal with abstraction really well if you have clear objectives, you're going you're gonna to do, do a lot better. So I think, I think it's a matter of uh, being able to point that out to people. That, this is not an intuitive thing, right? I mean, uh, everybody believes that ultimately they can understand the circumstance that they've inserted themselves into, um, uh, and most people are usually wrong, um, especially when you're doing something new uh, for the very first time. Um, you need that, that kind of um, uh, sherpa, if you will, that guide, that helper. Um, and they're out there. It's, I think it's just a matter of being, of being able to, to designate and say this this is a real role and this is a role that you can step into and this is the objectives that we have for that role and it would be amazing what people can do then. But it's just, I think it's broadcasting, it's, it's actually acknowledging that that's something that we need uh, versus trying to figure out how we cultivate someone to become
3: that. Right, I think lots of times it happens Naturally, without even someone realizing that they're filling that role, I've talked to practitioners that say, "Oh, yeah, I talk. I, you know, speak to the business community all the time. Um, I'm constantly talking to them, finding out what their needs are." It's like, "Oh, that's great. You know, have you talked about this with leadership? You know, are you doing it in a systematic way?" And they're like, "Oh, no, that just comes naturally to me, right?" Mm -hmm. So it's something that is a designated role, but can also
1: happen day-to-day, just in our normal interactions. Right, and so, I mean, this is, I think, why um, I've been in the field of workforce development for about, I don't know, gosh, 16 years or so, and this is why no two years are alike, because I think this is such a people-oriented, clearly, business, where um, what I think, when I think about all the employers, we had an employer panel earlier this week with a tech firm, um, an incubator of small businesses, uh, airline. a public sector entity and a finance company. And the the panelists, they were all kind of, you know, heads of talent development, and they were really all folks that work with our system right now. And we had convened 12 colleges to basically have speed dating with these employers to sort of say, what are you looking for? What can we do better? What are we not doing um, well? And kind of how can we make these relationships more robust? And what was super, super interesting about all the employers is they all had a connection to either being first gen um, college goers they were immigrants, they saw that their best employees were often the ones that didn't have the kind of perfect pedigree. Um, And I think that there's something in, you know, to the idea of navigators. I think we need navigators who get the higher ed system. But I think that our best employer relationships with the you know, with the most elite institutions, whether it's, you know, Google or Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley, where we have amazing partnerships to, um, you know, lesser known entities. I think having a, a navigator on the employer side who just inherently gets our student population either personally or because we've seen the talent coming in and out of the institution, the folks who are retained, the folks who move up, are often the folks that are a little less traditional. Um, feels really important. I think on the on the higher ed side, I think that um, you know the idea of, of finding folks who know how to kind of translate um, uh, experiences. I think we see a lot of folks with, with whether it's private sector backgrounds or nonprofit backgrounds, um, really excelling in those roles because I think they kind of know how to speak to the value proposition that different people and systems can offer to one another.
0: Yeah, absolutely, no, and, and, and the same thing is true once we get into companies. I mean, part of, part of the uh, power of that navigator and translator and go-between um, uh, is to be able to produce um, the skills in students that are similar to that. So if, you know, we're very much interested uh, at Guardian in the work that it takes to get the work done. And so you have to be reasonably technologically savvy. You have to understand how business works, how products are developed, how sales is is, is done, how accounting is done. Um, but you don't have to be expert in any one of those things in order to, to facilitate the transaction of making them happen. And and so, it just as important uh, as a navigator is to the system of preparation, there's actually jobs in corporations for these folks. I and mean, we used to call them project management offices. And and now, um, you know, with uh, all the different uh, stuff agile um, being out there. Um, people who can facilitate the interaction uh, between experts are almost more valuable than the experts themselves because the experts generally tend not to be able to talk with one another. I work in an insurance company and and, uh, we have tons and tons of actuaries and these guys are terrific at what they do, but you really have to draw them out. You have to have someone who's really, really deliberate to be able to say, okay, this is a product that we're trying to, to put together. Help us understand we, we're willing to live with some consequences and some, uh, some changes because we think we can sell the product. Uh, so how can you actuaries think creatively to help us, uh, help us develop this, not just, you know, pull out the slide rule and tell me how long somebody's gonna live, but really, you know, think differently.
2: In next week's episode, we'll hear the second half of this conversation, which focuses on workplace automation and other disruptions to the workforce and to traditional education models. Be sure to let us know what you think of our podcast by rating and reviewing In the Know and email us at acctinfo at for your suggestions. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.